I pray this finds you having a blessed morning. Uh, looking forward to getting into our time together in the book of James. Also starting this week doing two podcasts um, instead of just the one. So we're going to try to start doing podcasts on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And uh, looking forward to uh, adding a little extra and maybe it'll help you through the week. Maybe it'll give you some opportunity to have uh, some time to uh, have be challenged by God's word to be able to grow, reflect, um, and things of that nature. So uh, hopefully this will be a blessing to you uh, for those that uh, are uh, choosing to listen. And uh, we're going to pick up in James chapter 1 and we're going to close out chapter 1 by looking just at verse 27 this week. Last week we talked about um, <clears throat> the tongue and we talked about how that our language and our actions will actually determine whether we're walking with Christ or not. And James is going to really kind of seal the deal with all of that here in James chapter 1 verse 27. Um, he's going to use um, an, uh, two examples, I think, that are really going to set the trajectory of what his whole intentions are here. Uh, again, I think one of the things we can misunderstand, especially with Scripture, is we read verses, but sometimes we can take verses out of context. We have to understand that the whole entire chapter um, or whole sections need to go together. Um, you can't just take one verse, pluck it out, and then try to build something off of that. That that usually is not the best case because you can manipulate it, take it out of context, and all of that. Um, here, what we're going to do is we're going to be able to take what James is saying here and really use it um, to kind of finalize everything that he's been talking about here. So, um, James says this in chapter 1, verse 27. He says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows, in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, you may be looking at it and saying, okay, Jeremiah, I'm lost. Um, after what we talked about last week with, um, and, and even the last couple weeks, being doers of the word and not hearers only, um, what it really means to to follow the Lord. Uh, even last week, you know, you said my language and my actions are supposed to show that I really belong to the Lord and that I'm a follower. How in the world does this verse have anything to do with this? Because it's like James just went into left field here, pulled something out of the air, threw it in here. That's not the case at all. This actually is a perfect summation of what James is talking about. So let's dive in and let's show kind of what we're talking about here, right? So James is going to continue the thought of what religion, or again here, I don't like using that word because Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship with God. So what he's talking about here is this is what a true relationship with God is all about. And here's two of the things that we've been talking about previously. It's about the heart and the intention of why we do what we do, not just about what we claim, okay? Because again, we can sit down and claim an awful lot. And, and, and think about it from this example. You go and and listen to people today. You get on social media. You get on. You, you listen to news broadcasts or whatever. There's a lot of people claiming an awful lot of stuff. I mean, they just really are. And so, when you look at what people claim today, it's it's anything and everything. And even within the context of what it means to be a Christian, you think about how many people today you know that will tell you, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian." But you never see them actively serving the Lord. You never see them 
um, reading scripture, praying. You never see them sharing the gospel. You never see them living a life that shows that they belong to Christ. I mean, they claim it, but their actions don't back it up. I mean, it's the same thing. When you sit down and say, you know, I claim to be an astrophysicist. Well, what in your life shows that? Oh, I, I don't have to have anything in my life that shows that. I'm just an astrophysicist. Well, does your job reflect that? No. Do you have a degree that declares you that you've went through school and you've learned and you've trained to be an astrophysicist? No. I'm just an astrophysicist. Most of you all would look at me and say, you're an idiot. There's nothing about you that says that you're an astrophysicist. So now I'm going to pose the question, why is it that just because somebody says they're a Christian, we believe it? Why is it that just because somebody walks around and says, yeah, I go to church, or yeah, I'm a Christian, and we have no evidence to back that up whatsoever, there's nothing in their life that really shows it. And, and listen, just going to church doesn't show you're a Christian. I'm talking about your day-to-day -day actions, your intentions, the, the heart of why you do what you do. Does those things exist in your life to show that you're a Christian? If, again, if I were to walk around and say that I'm an astrophysicist and I have nothing in my life to show that, nobody would believe what I'm saying. Yet, everybody, their brother, their mother, their sister, and their dog walks around and says, I'm a Christian, and we automatically believe it. Why? Because we're scared to death to call somebody's hand on this. We're scared to death to look at somebody and say, you know what? I know you're claiming to be a Christian, but I'm sorry. Your language does not reflect that you belong to Jesus. Your actions daily, the way you treat people, the way that you uh, interact with people, there's no gentleness in you. There's no self-control. You just are doing whatever you want to do. You are not looking like you're led by the Holy Spirit. I've never seen you pick up a Bible and read it at all. I've never seen you pray. I've never heard you talk about Jesus whatsoever. I'm sorry. There's no evidence in your life to prove to me that you belong to Jesus. We're scared to death to do that. But we're not scared to death to tell anybody anything else. And that's really what James is getting to here. And so what he's talking about with this example, now again, he says, pure and undefiled religion before God is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Why in the world? All right, That's the question that I wrote down when I was looking at all of this. Why in the world did James use the example of a widow and orphan. I mean, of all the things that he could have pulled out of the sky, of all the things that he could have said, he could have said, pure and undefiled religion is this. Make sure you go to church every Sunday, have a clean mouth, and treat people with kindness. That's what he could have said. Why did he pull out widows and orphans? It is very important to understand because there is a specific reason why, and here it is. Because you can get nothing back from serving them and they can't repay you and do nothing for you in return. I'm going to say that again. Why did he pick widows and orphans here when he said this is pure and undefiled religion before God? Why did he pick widows and orphans? Because you can't get nothing back from serving them and they cannot repay you and do nothing for you in return. What James is saying is this, you serve them because you are doing what Jesus did for you. Goodness gracious, youngins. See, here's the whole thing of what James is talking about, and I pray this blows your mind to help you to be pulled back in to understanding 
the simplicity of what it means to serve the Lord. The one thing that you, I, and everybody else forgets is this. Before you were saved, you were dead. All right, I'm going to ask you this question, and I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be cold-hearted or anything here. What can a dead person offer somebody? If you go to a wake or a funeral, and you're sitting there, and there's someone that is in a coffin that's dead, what can they offer you? They can't talk to you. They can't touch you. They can't see you. They can't hear you. They cannot interact with you. There is no relationship that they can bring to the table whatsoever. They can't offer you anything. A dead person has no options. Do you realize that you were dead before you met Jesus? The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we are made alive in Jesus Christ when we're saved. So here's the thing. When you were dead, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. So while you were dead, Jesus did something for you. Guess what? Jesus did something for you when you could do nothing in return for him. You offered Jesus nothing. You had no talent. You had no breath. You had absolutely nothing. You were dead in your sins, and Jesus said, even though you can offer me nothing, I'm going to give you everything. So what James is talking about here is what Jesus modeled to us. What was it? The true intentions of his heart. The intentions of Jesus' heart was not to redeem us through salvation in order for us to give him something back in return. Jesus redeemed us because he wanted to. That's it. He loved us so much that he wanted to redeem us, and that's the only reason why he did it. Not because of what we could do for him, not because we could offer him anything. We were dead and we had nothing to bring to the table. And he said, I don't care. I still love you. I still want you. I'm going to redeem you. And he did it without us having anything to give him back. That was the true intentions of his heart. That's why we can say he loves with an unfathomable love because it makes no sense for him to do that. And what James is telling us here is if you are a, and please don't miss this, what James is saying is that if you are a true follower of Christ and Jesus lives in your heart, you should be living with the same exact mentality towards everyone. You should not serve anyone expecting anything in return. You should not do something for someone expecting anything in return. The reason why he used the widow and the orphan is because a widow at this period of time... Now, again, we live in a different day and time. There are some widows today that have more money than anybody would even know what to do with. But during this period of time, if a woman was a widow, or mostly a woman, because you know men still had status, but a woman did not have status in the community and in the society during the period of time James was writing this. So if a woman was a widow, she was done. She had no status. She had no money. She had absolutely nothing. And she was basically, you could almost say she was homeless. You could say that she had no food. You could say that she had no opportunities. You could say that she had no future. She had nothing. 
She was completely reliant upon someone to help her. The same way that an orphan is. An orphan cannot do anything on their own. They are completely reliant upon someone else to come alongside them and to be able to help them. And this is what James is saying. James said, you had nothing to offer Jesus. You had to be completely reliant upon him. And Jesus came in and he served you. He saved you. He died for you. What I'm telling, this is what James is saying. What I'm telling you, Christians that are scattered all over the place, you be like Jesus. Serve people without expecting anything in return. Do it not for the fact that you're going to get noticed. Don't do it because you're going to post it all over social media. Don't do it. That's the one thing that just, oh my gosh, it just gets on my ever-loving nerve is when somebody has to take a picture of themselves serving someone else. You're serving yourself. You want people to tell you, oh my goodness, how amazing you are. Listen, you do things in the quietness, and God says, I'll shout them on the rooftops. You're not truly serving someone if you got to take a snapshot of yourself, put it on social media, and say, hashtag, look at me. That's not what it's about. James says, you serve the widow and the orphan because they can't do nothing for you. And you do it because Jesus lives in you, not because of what you're going to get out of it, not because of how noticed you're going to get, not because that widow and that orphan is going to give you anything other than the fact they are going to give you the privilege and opportunity to know that you were being Jesus to someone. And that should be enough. That's simply what it is, is that if I have Jesus living in my heart, and if I claim to be a follower of Christ, see, here's the thing. This is really what James is saying. You can claim to be a follower of Christ all day long and go to church. Guess what? It doesn't make you a follower of Christ. You can claim to be a follower of Christ and tote a Bible under your arm. That doesn't make you a follower of Christ. You can even claim to be a follower of Christ and be a good moral person. I could go and ask people all day long, Hey, what do you think about Bob down there? Oh, Bob, just a good old man. He'll give you the shirt off his back. Guess what? Bob could still go to hell if he doesn't know Jesus as his personal Savior. Bob being a good guy and being willing to give you the shirt off his back has nothing to do with whether Bob is going to heaven or not and whether Bob is saved. But see, our problem is, is we think because people are good morally, then they got to be saved. No, that's not the case. See, what James is really saying is this. Your actions will show people whether you're saved or not. All right? Now, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to say this, and, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be discouraging. I'm not trying to, to make you feel, you know, overwhelmed or feel bad. What I'm trying to do is point out some things that our culture, unfortunately, has muddied up. When it comes to being a follower of Christ, if Jesus really lives in me, How is it that I can sit down and I can say that it's optional to read his word? I can't. How is it that if Jesus lives in me that I can say it's optional whether or not I want to be involved with a local church and go to church and, you know, whether it's Sunday school or small groups? How is it that you can sit down when you know that the Word of God is being taught and you can just sit down and say, you know what, eh, I just don't feel like going today. Or, uh, it's not for me. Or, uh, you know, I'll just do church my way. 
Um, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to the Lord and you don't have a say-so in it. See, that's the problem. We think when we get saved and after we're saved, we can tell Jesus how we're going to live our Christian life. That's not how it works. You get saved, (coughs) you were dead, you were made alive, and now you belong to him because he bought you, he paid for you, he redeemed you, and you don't have a say-so anymore. Not if you want to be obedient. Not if you truly belong to him. See, that's what James is saying. James is saying, if I truly belong to Jesus, and Jesus is who lives in my heart, he is who guides me, he is who directs me in everything that I do, then I am going to be obedient, and I'm going to do it simply for the fact Jesus lives in me, not what I'm going to get out of it. Warren Wearsby says this, words are no substitute for deeds of love. God does not want us to pay for others to minister as substitute for our own personal service. See, this is, and I'm going to say this, and I'm not being ugly, and I know some people may say, well, you know, Jeremiah, you're just sour grapes. Listen, I'm not. This is the one thing that I do not like about the idea of the large megachurch or the larger churches is this. We pay pastors to do the job, and the people come as consumers. Most of the churches that are considered large churches have multiple pastors, and what they do is they pay six or seven guys to be able to do the job, and the people just come and they consume. And then after that, they go back home and they do nothing, and they expect the pastors to do absolutely everything. The pastors go out and win people to Christ. The pastors are the one who do discipleship. The pastors are, listen, that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that God calls pastors to do what? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My job is not to do the job of the people at the church. My job is to do my job as a Christian, which is to do what Christ has called me to do. Then my job as a pastor is to equip the saints, equip the other people to do their job as a Christian. That's why we all work together. And what happens is the reason why people don't like the local church anymore and they're going to the larger mega churches is this. You actually have to work in a, in a local church in order for it to function. See, the local church needs everybody. The local church needs Sunday school teachers. The local church needs uh, people to do everything. They don't need just a big, large bunch of pastors to do it all. They need people to do everything. Every single person is required in the local church in order for it to work. So why aren't most local churches thriving? Because you only got about 20 people in a local church that actually do anything, and the rest of everybody else just comes to say they're part of the church. Jeremiah, that's mean. No, that's truth. And that's why most local churches struggle to do anything because nobody wants to get involved. Nobody wants to get their hands dirty. Nobody wants to get into the dirt and work the soul and sit down and say, you know what, let's see what God can do. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to hear my heart. I'm not saying this arrogantly in any way. I'm telling you what somebody else told me. And I want to share this with you because I want you to know my heart. I remember when I planted a church. I planted a church where nobody, where, I mean, multiple people, even our state association come alongside and said, you know what, there is no way a church, not only you can't plant a church here, a church will never thrive or survive here. Can I tell you right now, we planted the church in 2009. It's still there today and it's still thriving. But we planted that church. And I had somebody come alongside and said, Jeremiah, I need to ask you a question. I don't want you to take this the wrong way. 
I believe that God has blessed you to be able to be a really good speaker. I believe that you have charisma. I believe that you have a connection with people. I believe that you affect people. I believe that you have a way of breaking down God's Word that causes people to want to know more. It explains the Word of God to people maybe like they've never heard it before, and you can connect with people. Why are you wasting your time here in this little podunk town when you could be pastoring a large church or a mega church? Now think about that. That was the, that was the statement that was made to me. I'm going to tell you what my statement back to that was. Why go somewhere else where someone already built it when we can build it right here? If God wants me to be the pastor of a megachurch, we can build it right here. I don't need to go somewhere else in order to do something that somebody else already built. See, that's the problem. What we want to do in this idea of consumerism, we want to just go where someone else has done something rather than doing what God's called us to do right where we're at. And it's not about fame. It's not about status. It's not about notoriety. It's not about making a name for yourself. It's making His name glorious. It's about making His name known. It's about making His name known all over the world. It's not about making my name known. And see, we live in a day and time to where it's all about the name of the church and it's all about the name of the pastor. It irritates me to no end when someone says, you know, hey pastor, you know, I go to your church. No, you don't because it's not mine. It's his. Hey pastor, how's your church doing? It's not my church. I'm just there serving. It's his church. But see, what we do is we attach the names there. We're not doing it for the... We're looking at serving the Lord for the wrong intentions, for the wrong motives today. And it starts from the pastors and it trickles all the way down to the people. So we wonder, why do people not take serving the Lord seriously today? Why are so many people church hopping and church shopping? Why is it that somebody gets mad at this church and runs over to this church? Why is it that these people go over here and and they've been at this church for years and they go over here? You know why? Because they have no idea what it means to really follow the Lord. What they're doing is they're following man, they're following status, they're following societal things. You don't have to go somewhere else in order for God to build what he wants. You just got to be willing to do it there. You know what? Maybe you're somebody who's not really active in the church. Do you know what it could mean for that local church if you actually got involved? If you started coming to Sunday school or small groups or whatever the church may do? If you started coming to Bible study? If you started coming to prayer meeting? If you started getting involved in some of the service activities? You could help change the whole trajectory of that church. Just one person. Yes, just one person can. But you've got to serve because Jesus lives in you. And see, the problem is, is if Jesus lives in you, he's, he's wanting to come out of you. He's wanting to serve. He wants, you to be his, he wants you to be his hands and feet. You are a vessel, and he wants to use you, and he wants you to go serve without any need to be noticed. And the problem that we have is when we only serve when it's convenient for us, I have to ask you this question. Is Jesus really living in you? And I'm not being ugly and I'm not trying to sit down and make you go to a local church and make you serve. Out of I, What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you to understand that what James is talking about is you can't claim to be a follower of Christ and then you serve Jesus conditionally when it's convenient for you. That is not what it means to be a follower of Christ.
But I'm busy. You know what? Everybody is. But my schedule, you know what? Everybody's got one. We all have 24 hours in a day. It's how you choose to use it. See, the problem is, is you'll say yes to everybody else, but you'll say no to God. That's the reason why your schedule's so busy. That's why you don't have any time. That's why you don't feel like your schedule will allow you to serve at church. Is not because you got too much going on. It's because you're saying yes to the world and no to God. Well, Jesus said this in his word. He said, you cannot serve both God and the world. You have to choose one. One is your master. If your schedule is reflecting that you are saying yes more to the world than you are God, I'm sorry to tell you the Bible says you're choosing the world and, and God is probably not your master. And again, we don't like to hear that. You're being judgmental. No, what I'm doing is I'm just simply pointing out evidence. And I'm doing what Jesus said. Jesus said, you look at their tree, they'll be known by their fruits. It's just that simple. The things about your life will show whether you belong to Jesus or not. It's just that simple. So the reason why he chose widows and orphans is because widows and orphans represent what Jesus did for you. You were dead. You couldn't repay him. You couldn't do anything. And Jesus did it anyway. Why? Because he absolutely loved you. What James is telling us, you want to serve others, not because of what you can get out of it, but because they can't repay you. They can't do anything for you. And you just get the, the overwhelming joy of being able to serve others just because. Then look what he says. Not only after that, but then he says, pure and undefiled religion is to serve widows and orphans. And then he said, also it's this, to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what does that mean, unstained or undefiled? This is dealing with her conduct. The previous example was external service. This example is inner cleanliness. So see, what he's saying is it's both. And here's the thing. You can't do external service for the Lord if you're not clean on the inside. See, it has to be about your motives and your intentions. What are your motives and your intentions? Are they pure? See, this is not allowing the world to rub off or influence us, but us leaving a mark on the world around us. It's not about all the things we've talked about. It's not about the status. It's not about the notoriety. You know what? I don't care if people know my name. I don't care if people here in the area where I live walk around and say, oh, I'm going to tell you, boy, Jeremiah, he's just an awesome pastor. He's the best pastor. I don't care about that stuff. You know why? Because tomorrow, the whole entire story could change. Oh, I'm going to tell you, did you hear about Jeremiah? He morally failed. Oh, did you hear about Jeremiah? People hate him. He's the worst pastor ever. Did you hear about Jeremiah? See, the story could change automatically tomorrow. Because it's not about me. It's about him. And that's why I've got to focus on keeping my life clean. I've got to focus on my intentions. You know what? You can get a big head real quick. My wife has made this comment. I've been pastoring now for over 20 years. My wife has, we have traveled all over the place. My wife has seen thousands of different pastors, and this is the comment my wife made. I have never seen an humble pastor. That's the comment my wife made. 
And she said, do they have moments of humility? Yeah. But she said, every pastor I've ever been around has a significant level of arrogance. And she said, that includes you. And she was talking to me. And you know what? That that scares me. Because I don't want that to be something I'm known for. I don't want that to be something. And you know what? I've been around certain pastors that make me want to vomit. They are so full of themselves that their head is so big they can't even walk into a room because they just think that they are amazing and they think that, listen, every pastor is expendable. So many pastors think, oh, this church wouldn't be what it is if it weren't for me. Listen, if you created what it is, I promise you this, it can be tore down in a day. If Jesus created what's there, nothing's going to stop it. And most churches today are built off the back of a man who's building his kingdom and not God's kingdom. And that's why it's so scary. And that's why most things fall apart. That's why most churches are doing and and having the problems that they're having today is because they're built off of a guy rather than built off of God. They're not worried about keeping themselves clean because they don't have somebody in their life to tell them, listen, you need to get squared away. What you're doing is wrong. Hey, you got some arrogance issues. Hey, you need to have a little more humility about yourself. We don't have people that are willing to do that anymore because we don't let people like that into our lives. Most of us will only let people in our lives that tell us what we want to hear, tell us how amazing we are, but never hold us accountable to the real truth. And you don't have to be a pastor to do that. I'm going to ask you right now, maybe you're just what you would consider the, the, just the normal, everyday, average person. How many people do you have in your life that can be 100% truthful with you and know that they don't have to tell you what you want to hear? Most of us can't say that. What if you had somebody come up to you right now and tell you, you know what? Sue, you need to quit hanging around that man over there. You're a married woman. I was watching you the other day and I'm telling you, you're awful flirtatious. How many women would feel comfortable if somebody, if if you had somebody in your life that come up and said that to you? Most of us would say, listen, keep your own, keep, keep your nose clean yourself. Stay out of my business. You have no idea what you're talking about. But you know what? Maybe the Holy Spirit was using them to be able to tell you you're getting ready to make a stupid decision. See, when we sit down and when we're looking at this, the, we, are, we only have so much of a capacity to keep ourselves clean. We need other people to come alongside. That's why the church family is so important. I'm not harping about going to church because I think you need to go to church to be a Christian. No, I'm harping about going to church and being a part of the church body for this reason. We need each other in order to keep ourselves clean before the Lord. We need accountability partners. We need people that are willing and and open to speak into our lives. We need family that we can walk alongside of, pray with, be able to serve with, cry with, weep with, have joy with. So it's not about just attending or going to a church. It's about being the church together and having that accountability there. Because, see, I can't. And I also need to be able to understand I, if, if I'm letting the world get into my life and I'm letting the world mark me, I need somebody to tell me that. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, if you're one of those people that believe that you can be able to be a Christian on your terms and on your conditions and on your standards, listen, the world has marked you. 
you have let society, culture, and the world mark you and tell you this is what you can do and this is what it means to be a Christian. And that is not at all what God's Word says. So see, you're not keeping yourself clean. Maybe you're not clean in the first place. Maybe you're not saved. Because if you can sit down and say, oh, Jeremiah, you're just talking about those Jesus freaks. You're talking about them that, you know, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm just not sold out. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? Because again, you were dead. You were bought. You don't belong to yourself. If you belong to Jesus, you do what he says, period. It's not conditional. His commands are not optional. So if you're sitting down and you've determined what kind of Christian life you want to live, that is not biblical. That is cultural. So the world is actually leaving a mark on you. You're not leaving a mark on the world. Ask yourself this question. What kind of mark am I leaving? Does everywhere you go, the name of Jesus is what's left? That's the kind of mark James is talking about. See, the way we keep ourselves from conforming to this world is being reminded that we don't belong here. We do this through doing what we are called to do, and that's share Jesus with the world. See, again, being a Christian is not about just going to church and fulfilling religious obligations. That's not it. Being a Christian is living today. Because this is the only day we got. Living today, looking to make the greatest impact for the name of Jesus. And remembering that no matter what happens today, this is not my home. This is not my home. I'm not made for here. Here's four quick things. The more we share Jesus, and see, you say, but Jeremiah, why, why, do you, why are you constantly talking about evangelism? Why are you con- That's what we're doing at church right now. We're sharing the gospel. We're talking about evangelism, sharing the gospel, the importance behind it, why we need to do it. And, and I talk about it a lot on here about why we need to share the gospel. You know, we look at, Jeremiah, why do you keep talking about that? Because you know, I'm just an introvert. I'm somebody that I don't like to talk publicly about my religion. Listen, I don't talk publicly about my religion either, but I do talk about my relationship with Jesus. The same way that if you come up and you ask me about my wife, I'll tell you, I will sit and talk with you all day long. You know why? Because other than Jesus, my wife is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. If you, if you, if, if you have an opportunity to ask me a question about my boys other than Jesus and other than my wife, my kids are the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I will sit down and tell you absolutely everything about them. I will tell you how amazing they are, how wonderful they are, how they've been used to change my life, how that they bring such joy to me, how that I don't want to breathe unless I have them. But you know what? My wife and my kids have never died for me. My wife and my kids have conditional love for me, not unconditional love. So why is it that I'm more willing to talk about my wife and my kids oftentimes than I am Jesus? Why are people more willing to talk about sports than they are Jesus? Why are people more willing to talk about politics than they are Jesus? Because the problem is, is... We've believed and been marked by the culture that you don't talk about religion. You don't talk about Jesus because it's offensive. You know what? Some of these ignorant yahoos that get on Facebook and talk about their politics, they annoy me and offend me more than anybody else. 
But yet you have the, the right to do that, right? Yeah. You're just showing how ignorant you are. But yet because it's Jesus, I can't share it with somebody because it's offensive. No, I can. It's just we've allowed the world to put a mark on us to make us think that we can't. And we've allowed ourselves to be silenced by the enemy. So here's what I want to tell you to sum all of this up. Here's four things. The more we share Jesus with other people, here's the things we're going to be reminded of. We aren't made for this world. You may say, well, what does that matter? Because I'm going to tell you, if all I'm doing is living for this world, here's the example. The best thing I can use this as an example. If, If all my life is is made for this world, let's say, for instance, I work today. I'm earning $10 an hour working today, and I work my 9 to 5. That means I'll make $80 today. If all I'm doing is living for this world, here's what I'm doing. I might as well take the $80, set it on fire, and go into the next day and try to work again. Because I have nothing to show for it because everything about this life means absolutely nothing. And if all I'm doing is sharing Jesus with people and I'm going around and I'm serving people with the right intentions and the right heart like you mentioned with the widows and orphans and I'm trying to keep myself clean and I'm trying to make Jesus the central focus of absolutely everything, guess what? I'll live my life realizing that I don't need to store up for myself treasures here. I'm going to store up treasures in heaven. The second thing you'll realize is not only we aren't made for this world, here's temporary. Do you realize that you have no promise to make it through today? If you were to die right now, or you were to die in the next 10 minutes, and you stood before God, how have you lived your life to make an impact for the kingdom of God? How would, how would God look at you and say, this is what you did with my son Jesus, and this is the mark that you made left? You may think, well, he would say, you're a good person. Listen, being a good person does not make you saved. How did you use the name of Jesus to make a mark and leave a mark on this world? Because that's the only thing that matters. So sharing the gospel more means that it reminds us we're not made for this world. It reminds us that things are temporary here. Number three, it reminds us we must guard our hearts from this world. Yes, we are in the world, but we do not have to be of the world. I do not have to let the world mark me. I do not have to let the world make a stain on me. I do not have to let the world dictate and define who I am, what I want to do, and how I serve Jesus. I serve Jesus based on what God's Word says, not on what culture says. And here's the last one. It means I'm, the more I share Jesus, it reminds me I, I'm not made for this world. This world is temporary. i got to guard my heart from this world, and it reminds me that I've got to live for eternity. I've got to live for eternity. And see, here's the thing. The Bible tells us that God has put eternity in man's heart. If I have Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and Jesus is what is guiding me, I can't help but not do what Jesus desires. And 
And here's the two things that I want you to understand. If you want to know, what what does it really mean to do what Jesus did? You know, I remember growing up, we had those bracelets, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, I'm going to tell you the two things. If you want to call yourself a Christ follower, and I'm going to ask you this question. This way you'll know, do I really belong to Jesus? Is he my Lord and my Savior? Here's the two things that Jesus defiantly said in Scripture about who he was, about his character, and about his actions. The first thing Jesus said is this, I came to serve and not be served. That's what we just talked about here in the book of James. Pure and undefiled religion before the Lord is serving the widows and the orphans. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I am King of kings and Lord of lords. I am God in the flesh, yet I did not come to be served. I came to serve humanity. And then one of my all-time verses that I keep in my heart, Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. So here's how you know if Jesus truly lives in your heart, if Jesus is truly your Lord and Savior, is this. Not just on Sunday, not once a week, not when it's convenient, but daily. You wake up with a desire to serve others, and daily you wake up with a desire to make the gospel known because you want to see lost people saved. If you can't say that I wake up each morning with a desire to serve other people the way Jesus did, and I wake up with a desire to make Jesus known to anyone and everyone because I realize that the most important thing I can do is to make the gospel known, then does Jesus really live in your heart? And here's why. Because if Jesus truly is the Lord of your life, you will want to do what pleases the Lord. And those are the two things because Jesus said, that's what I've come to do. So that's what we should want to do as well. So I pray this has challenged you. I pray this has caused you to ask some questions, not because I'm trying to make you feel bad about yourself, not because I'm trying to be judgmental, but because salvation is the most important decision that you can ever make. And I do not want you to take for granted the fact that because you might be a little religious, you might go to church, you grew up in church, or you're a good moral person, that you think you're saved and you end up going to hell. I want you to know that you're saved. The book of 1 John says, I write these things that you may know you have eternal life. You will know you have eternal life, not because of what you've done, but because of what God has done in you and what God is doing through you daily. That's how you'll know. And how we know that we belong to Him is we got to start by understanding we're dead in our sins. And then we repent of our sins. We trust Him as our Lord and Savior, and we surrender our life to Him, and He's in complete control from now on. And if you've never done that, I pray you find someone who's a Bible-believing Christian and talk to them about what that means. Maybe you've just let yourself slide a little bit, and you're not doing what you should be doing. Can I encourage you? All you have to do is get back and say, God, I want to be more of what you've called me to be. I want to serve people without worrying about status, without worrying about culture, without worrying about anything at all. I just want to do what you would have me to do. And God, I want to make Jesus known. I want to serve and I want to share. 
Those are the two most important things we can do every single day. And that is up to you. You wake up each morning and you surrender your life to Jesus and say, this is what I want you to do to me today. And I promise you, you'll sit back and watch him do some amazing things. So I pray this has encouraged you. I pray it's challenged you. We look forward to getting back into God's word here in the next couple days and continuing to do uh, these two each week now rather than one. I pray if it's been a blessing, share it with somebody. Give it a five-star rating wherever uh, on whatever platform you listen to. Give it a review to help it get out there a little bit more. And I pray you have a blessed, wonderful today. Day today. So go and share and go and serve. <laughs>